Last week I was in Guatemala and I was down there visiting Brother Ryan Ashcraft. He's planted a church down there. It's been about four years since he went to the field. And um, he has a great church down there. Um, what I was specifically going for was, since it's our missionary and uh, his ministry, that church was started more, don't think of it quite as a church, but more like a chapel out of our church. Um, it was a ministry uh, out of our church. And what, what I was doing down there was we were basically handing over the keys uh, to the church, to a national pastor. And uh, Brother Ryan will no longer be affiliated with that church other than occasionally stopping by and saying hello to people. Uh, we will not be able to dictate to them what they do, even doctrinally or even financially. We really have no business because they're independent Baptist church. They're just in Guatemala. And uh, it was an amazing trip, very enlightening. Uh, that's only the second time I've ever been out of the country. The first time was to Mexico where I went and saw Brother Randy Ashcraft's work uh, while... Uh, while he was down there. And uh, can I just say, Brother Ryan did a phenomenal job. Now, he's not here, and I'm not here to brag on him. I don't think uh, many men deserve to be bragged on apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But he did a great work. And, uh, you know, the first six months, he did not have a single visitor visit his church. And every week, he preached to his wife and to his children. And... Uh, since he's been down there, six other churches have attempted to start, and not one of them has lasted longer than six months, because none of them have visitors either. And they always give up. And Brother, Brian, uh, Brother Ryan was just resolute and in his commitment, and he just kind of was a little hard-headed, even, and uh, he said, I'm not going to quit. If this is where God's called me, I believe God has a plan. And I will not go into great detail, but God actually put Brother Ryan and his wife through a trial. And uh, it's so hard sometimes to see how trials can be a blessing. But if you ask Brother Ryan, that trial was what allowed the people of Guatemala to see that he was committed. He did not come back home. He stayed in Guatemala. And uh, it was after that that his church began to see people saved began to see people discipled and began to see people uh, baptized. And when I was down there, there was about 40 members that came and visited. They're charter members now. We had been out to eat for about 45 minutes after the church had been handed over to the national pastor. And the national pastor looks across the table at uh, Brother Lanny Ashcraft and says, Can you have Randy, now this is getting all confusing, but can you have your son who's a missionary in Thailand send me a prayer letter? I think we want to take him on for support. And uh, that's the local church, and that's God's plan. And I tell you, when you see it at work, it's just better than our plans. It just It's God's plan, and it's more effective. And now he's going to train people, and they're going to send missionaries out, and they're going to start churches. And uh, I'll just say this. While I was down there, I mean, amidst a culture that is very indoctrinated with false doctrine, uh, it's very predominantly Catholic, and, um, and it it's really has a chokehold on the area. And I looked at Brother Ryan, and I, I, as I said earlier, I don't brag on people. It's not, you know, I don't like when people brag on me, and I've, I've shared that with you all before, so I don't like bragging on other people. And I told him, Brother Ryan, I'm not bragging on you here, but I want you to know there's about 40 people here that you yanked out of hell. 
You know, here in America, people have to trip over the gospel to go to hell. And they pretty much have to be in staunch denial that there is no God. And they, they basically have to convince themselves that what we believe is a farce. But if Brother Ryan had not gone, those people would not have accepted Christ. And that's God's sovereign plan. Is that the people that he calls would go to the fields that they're called to. And I also want to share with you that there's people that you can have a direct impact in. And if you don't go they'll spend eternity in hell. Because basically when I said that to Brother Ryan, I fell under deep conviction. And it's my job to yank a bunch of people out of hell. It's my job to be the Christian I ought to be. It's my job to share the gospel. And, and to be very frank, it, it, it hit me right upside the head. And uh, I, I think that uh, it was a tremendous trip. Thank you for uh, allowing me to go. And uh, I, I hope that Brother Brian doesn't have too much of a place in your heart that you uh, put me out of a job. But Brother Brian did a phenomenal job. I listened to the Sunday morning uh, sermon. I was unable to listen to the Sunday evening because we were in church at the same time. But he did a great job, and, and I was proud of him. He's definitely developing uh, as a preacher and as a man of God. It, I, it's a pleasure to work with him every single day. So uh, uh, thank you, Brother Brian, for that. Exodus chapter number 9 tonight. Uh, I'm going to share with you a, a sermon that I've, I've kind of been thinking about as we go through. See, I'm not necessarily what you would consider expositionally preaching through this uh, 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 book. Uh, I'm really going through the book and what speaks to me, I'm speaking to you. And, and as I've studied it, and, and, and this sermon is very uh, overviewish. I'm taking a, a broad look at the, the story tonight. But this is what has compiled and arrived us to this place. And there's a phrase that has been used time and time and time again throughout our story so far. And I want to study it. And I want to take a look at how we can avoid this terrible thing that is said about the man named Pharaoh. Uh, Exodus chapter number 9, verse 27. The Bible says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Now, let's remind ourselves who's speaking. This is Pharaoh. This is not Moses. This is not Aaron. This is not one of the Jews. This is a pagan king saying, oh, I'm wrong. And, and I'm, I've sinned, and I realize that God is sovereign, God is holy, God is righteous, and I am not. And all of that sounds pretty great, does it not? I mean, you're finally seeing God's work happen upon this man's life. Now verse 28. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings in hell. And I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. And Moses said unto him, As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord. And the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. Now pay attention here, verse 30. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet fear the Lord God. And the flax and the barley was smitten, and the barley was in the ear, and the flax was bold, but the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. 
And Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hills ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, I want you to say the next four words with me. He sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand up and preach tonight. Lord, I don't take it lightly. It's an intimidating thing uh, that I'm allowed to stand and preach your word. Uh, Ultimately, Lord, I believe it's intimidating because I realize if I don't have your blessing, I will fail miserably. So, Father, I pray with everything that I am that you would please help me tonight. And I believe that you will honor that request. And, Lord, I pray that you would also use your Holy Spirit to convey the word of God in ways that I, I really would be oblivious to, but that it would speak specifically to individuals that need it tonight and, and, and really point to places that I wouldn't even know where to go. And, Lord, I pray that you would just help me preach this sermon with passion. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help me preach it with love. I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, I'm not sure how you feel on the matter, but I I am very well convinced that I want God to speak to me on a daily basis. And I don't ever want there to be anything that would separate or, or block God's movement or God's direction or will in my life. I mean, I don't want there to be sin. I don't want there to be pride. I don't want there to be selfishness or arrogance or anything that would block God's movement and Him conveying His will to my life. I do believe, however, there are a lot of Christians these days who struggle with this fact that they don't often hear God speak to them. They don't often feel God's movement in His in their life. They, they really would not very well know what God wants them to do on a day-to-day basis, for they haven't felt the Spirit's leadership in their life in a long, long time. Many Christians sit in services and they wonder why the preaching's dried up and the songs don't have the same sting they had before, but really the message is not changed and the songs are the same. Many people wonder why church is growing stale and they don't feel like the person that they were when they were saved. And many people sit in pews begging God to speak to them and yet it's like nothing ever happens. Why is that? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. The Bible speaks clearly that when a person's heart is hard, it's impossible for God to speak to them. My dad and I would not claim to be farmers. We do not claim to be knowledgeable on it. In fact, there are some farmers here in the church, and we do what we can to glean their advice whenever we can. Uh, We this year took advice from a farmer and Already it's seemingly paying dividends because up until this point, we've just been scratching the ground and throwing some seed. And it hasn't worked too well. But uh, So we're not by any means farmers. We have some farming equipment and we have some land to farm. But that does not mean that you're a farmer if you have those things. Um, We have some land. Uh, As you know, we call it the ranch. We have a John Deere tractor. It's the only tractor to own. Sorry if you have a a red one or an orange one, one of them Japanese ones we can't even pronounce. Uh, uh, I don't know where, what kind of tractor you have, but we have green one. 
And, uh, and we, we have some implements. We have a ripper. We have a plow. We have a grain drill. We have many different implements for different settings and different uses. And, and we've learned what these uses are and when we can use this and when we can use that. But we're no, by no means farmers. But we have learned this one thing. That if the ground is too hard, it doesn't matter what implement we use, we cannot scratch the surface. In fact, there are times when we actually have to wait on a rain to come before we can use our most extreme duty implement to then rip up the ground. Well, once we get it turned, it becomes much easier, and we can use some of the lighter, more fine instruments to plow the ground. But at the start, if it's been in one of those Texas droughts like you're very familiar with, if we've had one of those for a great while and the ground's just hard and it's cracked, guess what? We just rub the ground. We don't break into the surface. Tonight, I want to propose this to you. I think that we need some rain. I think I need rain. I think you need rain, and, and I'm not talking about a, a downpour because, man, I'm not sure our church can handle another one, amen? I'm not talking about an actual rain. What I'm talking about is a spiritual refreshment, a renewal of the Holy Spirit speaking to our heart so that when God begins to move in our church and God begins to move in our heart, we will be able to sense His presence and we will be able to hear His call. I believe we need a rain tonight. But I also believe that in our passage and in our story so far, Pharaoh has given us some warnings, some trespasses that he has committed that I believe if we are aware of and we do not commit, then we will be able to have a soft heart and not harden our heart. And I want to share with those with you tonight. First of all, a hard heart will be attained when we ignore constant warnings. Now, so far in our, our, our story, we've, we're to the seventh plague. In fact, we did not cover the previous three there in chapter 9, uh, but basically one comes right after another. So far, we've had the river to blood, which is the actual first plague. Then the frogs. Then the dust was turned to lice. Then the flies, uh, a pestilence of livestock. In other words, a virus attacked the livestock and caused them all to die. Uh, boils and now... In our passage, is specifically mentioned, the fiery hail falls from heaven, and, and, and Pharaoh's just about had enough. But in almost every one of these stories, a warning came beforehand on what was going to happen. And Pharaoh, in his obstinance and pride, he just decided to not believe the messenger, and he just said, you know what, I'm not going to have it. And because of that, the, every single time the plague came because he was unwilling to react. He ignored the promises that plagues would eventually come. In Exodus chapter 5, the very first meeting that Pharaoh and Moses ever had face to face, before the plagues were promised, before any of that, Moses gets the courage to go to Pharaoh, and, 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 and Pharaoh, or Moses says, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Now pay attention. And, and Moses says this, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And Moses is saying, if this doesn't happen, bad things are going to happen. And Pharaoh looks at Moses and says, who is this God you're speaking of? I, I don't know this God, and, and I don't know anything about him. 
Well, we remember the story about how Moses was then to ca- or Aaron was then to cast down the rod, and it was to turn to a serpent. Then at the uh, at the Jordan River, there uh, the uh, river became blood, and uh, not the Jordan River, the Nile River. I'm sorry, different geographical locations. The Nile River, and uh, the river was turned to blood, and the promise was given. Chapter number seven. Thus saith the Lord. In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite the rod that is in thy hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. Pharaoh knew, and Pharaoh failed to react. Uh, Promise of frogs, Exodus chapter 8. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite thy borders with frogs. Look, Pharaoh was not waiting to figure out what the plague was going to be. It was always announced to him. It was advertised, and, and Moses would say, Pharaoh, look, this is, this is what's going to happen if you don't let them go. And every time, Pharaoh just decided that the, the, the pain of the, the plague was, he was willing to accept it, as long as he kept his pride and as long as he had his way. The promise of flies, Exodus chapter 8, verse 21, Else if thou will not let them go, Behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, and into thy houses. And the house of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also to the ground whereon they are. So Moses is trying his best to convey the message, is he not? Moses is saying, look, we've gone through this. Uh, we did it with the blood in the river. We did it with the frogs. We, we did it with uh, all of them so far. Pharaoh, I cannot describe to you, the plague will always be worse than you imagine. And this time it's going to be flies. And uh, Pharaoh begins to harden his heart. And Moses says, no, you don't understand. They're going to be everywhere. They're going to be in your houses. They're going to be in your bedroom. They're going to be in your living room. It, you remember the frogs? They were in your ovens. It's going to be way worse than you could ever imagine. Happened with the the moraine of livestock or the virus that was given to the livestock. Moses says, we've gone through this, Pharaoh. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle which is in the field, and upon the horses, and upon the asses, and the camels, and the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a grievous moraine. Moses, every time, was very clear about what would happen if Pharaoh did not react and obey the voice of God. Did you know that God oftentimes sends us warnings in our life? Sometimes it's in the form of a preacher standing red-faced, get right, get right, throw off your old self, put on the new man, get rid of those old dirty habits, start acting like a Christian. And a lot of times it's the man of God standing in the way saying, don't go down that path. Live for God. Love your families. Impact this world for the cause of Christ. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They're all of the devil. They're all sensual. They're all fleshly. Get right with God. And all the time it looks like that. And the man of God will stand up here and preach his heart out. And far too often what happens is our Christians fill our pews. And they just say, well... Preacher's yelling tonight. Somebody must have told him a bad joke before service. And we reason in our minds how what the preacher's saying doesn't apply to us. We say, well, old Sister Betty, if she heard what preacher said about that, she would really get a good dose. She better go to the altar tonight. 
the while, we're, it's like we're shoveling the warnings of the preacher and of God over our shoulder. And we, like Pharaoh, disregard the promises of God. Did you know that God promises that a child of God outside of the will of God will always fall, uh, 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 fall into the chastisement of God? The, uh, God would not be a loving father if he did not punish, if he did not correct, if he did not try to set back in the right direction. And God promises that he, as a loving father, would chasten those who he loves. And let me say this tonight. If you're living in sin and God's not chastening you, that either means you're not a child of God or God doesn't love you. <laughs> so the warnings of God come to us in many, many times. Sometimes the warning of God is, is when something in your life happens and you realize that you're all alone. And that when you go to God, you don't feel that fellowship. You know what? There's no better time to know how strong your relationship is with God than when everything in your life goes wrong. When you walk, uh, when you walk into work one day and your boss tells you that we're having to downsize and and we're not going to be able to keep you on employment. And you say, but I have seniority. He says, unfortunately, that's the reason we're letting you go. And, and at that moment, when things seem to be unraveling, that's when you need to go to God the most. And, and, and for some people, this is how it has to go. Well, Lord, it's been a while. And uh, I'm sorry for that. But, Lord, I really need you right now. And our relationship with the Lord is not where it needs to be. And all the while, warning signs have been given. Stay faithful. Love God with all your heart. And we've just ignored them. Like Pharaoh, we become prideful. We become self-absorbed and even self-reliant. Some of us need to reawaken to the warnings of God in our life and realize that we are to react when God moves in our life. A wise preacher said this, obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit of God moves in your life, you better obey him because he may not move anymore. Whether that impulse is to walk an aisle, uh, to come to an altar, whether that impulse is to witness to a friend, to invite someone to church, obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit of God so that when he speaks, you'll know how to listen. He uh, ignored the promises. He also ignored the power. And we've mentioned this several times, but during those early plagues when the river was turned to blood and, and the frogs came, do you remember how the magicians would duplicate the, the problem? <laughs> they would multiply the issue. They said, well, we can make water blood, and they would do it. And then they would make frogs more abundant, even though they were covered up in frogs. He's like, I, I can imagine how that went, right? He says, well, look what's under my hat, a frog. <laughs> and, 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 and Moses is like, yeah, they're everywhere, man. That's not that impressive that you, you found one. But uh, you remember how they would just, they would do again what God had already done. Now, it was always in a much smaller uh, amount. Right? See, God would do entire rivers, and they would take, like, a small container of water and say, look what we can do. And every time, the Bible says, that hardened Pharaoh's heart. Could you imagine how obstinate Pharaoh's attitude must have been towards God that all of these amazing natural phenomenon were happening, and he just decided to deny that God's hand was at work? 
He's like, huh, I guess this must be the winter solstice when our river turns to blood. Right? Is that, wouldn't we have an explanation like that today? If, if, something, if God sent some type of amazing natural phenomenon, it would be because the scientists had been predicting it for years, right? And, oh, yeah, we knew that this was going to happen. We knew. And, 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 and Pharaoh was in stark denial that God could actually do something amazing. And these miracles were not small, mind you. I mean, the entire land of Egypt was covered up in frogs. That's a lot of frogs, man. They were in the ovens. They were in their bedrooms. They were in their homes. They were everywhere. I told you all about the cricket infestation here at the church. It was gross. Could you imagine rolling your chariot and all you hear is ribbit, 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 ribbit. But it doesn't quite sound like that. More like, right, because you're running over the frogs. How nasty would that be? Frogs were everywhere. Natural phenomena were happening, and Pharaoh just failed to admit that God was doing something to him. Did you know that sometimes God can make our lives more difficult when we are outside of his will? And sometimes Christians say, well, it's just circumstances. Just hard times. Now, you know, if, if you and your wife are not getting along, it's because there's an issue between you and the Lord or your wife and the Lord. And you can think what you want, but people who have their eyes on the Lord and are pursuing the same goal, God sends harmony into that home. And a lot of times people come into the church office and they say, well, Brother Andrew, me and my wife just aren't getting along. And then me and my dad have to explain to them, and well, what are you doing? What are your wife doing? Really, this is the solution. How about you just get right with God? How about you just take your mind off the finances? How about you just stop... Uh, trying to bring home chocolates to satisfy everything. How about your wife sees a man who loves the Lord with all of his heart? And how about your wife start being the mother that she ought to be and love the Lord with all of her heart? And for some reason, God just brings harmony into that home. And how come sometimes people come in and say, well, preacher, I've fallen on hard times and and, you know, it seems like every week a tire's going flat or a battery's going out. Or, man, preacher, it just seems like everything's going downhill. And, and then we ask a simple question, well, are you tithing? Are you? Well, <laughs> well, times are tight, so it's difficult to tithe. So we, we just, we, we would rather attribute our hard times to natural occurring phenomenon than we would God's hand of chastisement upon our life. Look, when God's children are not right with him, guess what? The Bible says the, Lord is a, uh, the, the face of the Lord is opposed to those who do wicked. That's what the Bible says. And, and we wonder why sometimes, well, this thing doesn't just seem to be working out. This problem just seems to be getting worse. And I just don't have any solutions. You've never had solutions. You're the problem. Sometimes we are so blind. Do you hear my amen from my daughter over there? That was pretty good. Amen, Bailey. Every once in a while we get so blind to God's warning in our life. He says, if you'll just get right, I'll be able to clearly speak to you. But every time we say no to a warning of God, guess what happens? Our heart hardens. And God has more difficulty speaking to you. We ignore God's warnings. Secondly, secondly, when we negotiate with God. Now, Pharaoh did this earlier in chapter 8. In chapter 8, which is not our text tonight, 
I, I like how Pharaoh is. You can see, although his heart is hardening, he's trying to, I don't know, devise strategies by which he can get his way and God can get his way. And so one time Moses comes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I will let your people go, but you have to stay in the land. And Moses says, that's not the deal, Pharaoh. You know that as well as I do. We're to go three days' journey outside of the land. That's not the deal. And Pharaoh goes, okay, okay, okay. I realize sometimes it's hard, but this is a negotiation, right? You give a little, I give a little. So you can go, but don't go quite as far as you're wanting to go. In fact, the first time he says, stay in the land. The second time says, only don't go that far. And, 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 And Moses says, Pharaoh, that's not how this works. I mean, you're talking to God, and you're going to get your way, and God's going to judge you, or God's going to get his way, and everything's going to be fine. Pharaoh sets his will, and he begins to negotiate with God. I think there's a very valuable lesson in that. You know how good we are at negotiating with the Lord? Well, preacher, I just don't think three services a week is is really needful. It's... And I'll tell you what, we all just need to take a church missions trip to Guatemala, where they walk three miles down a volcano to get to church. And an eight-month pregnant lady decides to walk to church a mile and a half one way down a volcano and a mile and a half up the volcano the other way to get to church. We negotiate. Well, preacher, we're usually pretty faithful, and we serve, and we're doing what we can, but... Every once in a while, I don't think it's a problem. If if our kids have a sporting event, then it's okay if we miss at that time. Look, you're not negotiating with a preacher. That's what we always like to do. Well, preacher, you've got to understand. Preacher understands. (laughs) It's not the preacher's job to judge you. It's the judge's job to look at your life and say, are you trying to negotiate with with your God? Are you trying to get your way when God says this is the way it ought to be? Pharaoh negotiated with God, and it just didn't work out. It's such a sad thing when, when, when people begin to negotiate with God. Luke chapter 9, verse 62 says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, when God calls you to something and God sends you on a mission, why would you divert your attention to any other thing? The Bible puts it like this. Uh, 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 but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Sometimes we negotiate. We say, well, God, what if I, what if I do this? Or what if I go here instead of? That's not how it goes. And Pharaoh was negotiating with God. And after those negotiations, his heart hardened because he wasn't willing to give all the way in, and God wasn't willing to give all the way in. Thirdly, a hardened heart will be attained when we commit unfulfilled vows. When we commit unfulfilled vows. Now, this is actually in our passage tonight, but this has happened now three times. Take your Bible to Exodus chapter 8. This is immediately following the the frog plague. And I couldn't imagine, I don't like frogs. I don't, I don't really know if that whole myth about them giving you warts is true or not, but I don't care to find out. Uh, I don't like frogs. I don't, think they're, I don't think they're cute. I think they're kind of gross looking. I think they're fish food. 
Uh, and uh, that's about all I have to say about that. Right here in Exodus chapter 8, Pharaoh obviously doesn't like the frogs either because it's, it's prompted him to react to Moses. Chapter number 8, verse number 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Then verse number 15. Moses does that. He entreats that the Lord would take away the frogs. In verse number 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh goes back on what his word was. And my daddy taught me, I'm only as good as my word. Uh, if I shake your hand and look you in the eye, uh, it's my job to do everything I can to make that vow come true. Um, because honestly, in this day and age, it's getting hard to find people to do what they say. Tell you what, you build a house and see how many people do what they say. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's difficult to find people you can trust. You, you go get your car worked on. Uh, the other day we had a lady come to the church and say, well, these people charged me $700 to fix my car. And uh, we went down, and, and she said, it's not working. It worked for a few days. Now it's not working. We went down, and they said, well, if you're going to get it fixed, now we're going to have to do $2,000 worth of work on your car. And she said, well, I just spent $700. I don't have the money for that. She came up to the church, and we made one phone call to another mechanic, and we said, I, I think they're, they're estimating an entire rebuild. How much would this rebuild cost? She said, well, I can do it for about $700. They wanted to take that lady for $2,700 when another mechanic could do the same work for $700. You try finding an honest mechanic these days. And it's really not just within business. It's hard to find honest people. And, and here Pharaoh says, look, Moses, the frogs are too much. If you will pray that God will take them away, I'll do what he wants. But the moment that he sees God's hand of judgment removed, you know what he says? but I kind of like it the way it is. And unfortunately, there's a pattern here. Verse number 28, this is after the flies plague. Verse number 28 of chapter 8. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat that the Lord, that the swarms of the flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I like Moses. He's not just going to get taken twice, right? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, or you, you get it. You all understand. And, and, uh, and, Pharaoh, and Moses is like, I learned my lesson the last time. I like how y'all are all laughing, like y'all have never messed that phrase up. Uh, and Pharaoh says, oh, yes, Moses, I will let you go if you just take this problem away. And Moses says, now, look, we've played this game once. You said you were going to let us go the last time. Now, this time, we'll do it the same way. But here's the difference. You cannot lie. Don't deal deceitfully. Just be a man of your word. Do what you say you're going to do. Guess what happens? Pharaoh deals deceitfully. And he's a liar. And that's what he does. Now, here in chapter 9 and verse 27, this is after the fiery hail. See, uh, hail falls from heaven, and as the hail hits the ground, fire runs. Now, would you like to be a part of that hailstorm? You don't know which way to run because the, the fire's chasing you. 
last night, I'll just tell this story. Last night I was hunting in the woods and I had a hog chase me. And uh, it scared me to death. And when he found out that I was there and I found out that he was there, uh, we said things, both of us said things, we're not repeatable in church. And, uh, and he ran off and then another hog stepped out and I was going to, I was going to, you know, be a hunter and I was going to take a picture of him. <laughs> After another event occurred and, uh, and I was trying to get this light on this hog so I could do, do my, my, you understand what I'm saying. And, uh, and I, I'm trying everything I can. And this is a big hog. You know, we always talk about 300-pound dogs. Those are very rare. And this is about a 130-pound dog. I can see this big boar. And, uh, and I was about 20 yards from him. And I was trying to get this flashlight on this hog. This has nothing to do with my sermon. For some reason, I'm telling this story. Just obeying every impulse of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and uh, I'm trying to get this light. And I set that bow down. And I'm trying to get this light. And I look up, and there's something running straight at me. And I catch it about five feet from me. And I jump out of the way. And I said things that are not repeatable in church. And I catch it as it's going. A raccoon just randomly was running through the forest. And I thought it was going to eat my leg off. Man, it scared me. And uh, I tell you, it, it just wore me out. And I'm sure we'll come back around to that somewhere because that's what the Lord wanted me to do. But I doubt it somewhere. But that's what it would be like. The fire, the, the hell falling from heaven, you just run in every direction you can. You, you wouldn't know what to do. And Pharaoh's had enough, man. He's, oh, Moses, I, I finally learned my lesson. Now verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. Oh, he's getting spiritual now, right? Isn't that what he's doing? You know what I've noticed? People who play, pray repentance prayers a lot get really good at them. And he has, uh, now the third time, the first time was like, Moses, just take this problem away. The second time, Moses, I entreat thee that you would ask God. Now he's saying, Moses, I'm a sinner. I'm just a low-down, rotten sinner, and God is righteous, and I am wicked. Is that not what he's saying? In verse 28, and... Uh, or verse 27, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings in hell. And I will let you go, and ye shall stay no longer. Oh, then look down at verse 34. This is sad. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. He and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. You see, not only was he negotiating with God, now he was making promises to God and saying, if, God, if you'll do this, then I will do this. If, God, if you'll react to me, I will become better. I'll be, I'll be the Pharaoh that you need me to be. And he was making vows to God that he had no intention of keeping. You know, the Bible says in two different places, if you vow a vow to God, defer us not to pay it. For God takes no pleasure in fools. It, it is, when you make a commitment to God, boy, it's, it's worse than shaking my hand. You see, because I can't hold anything over your head. I, I really don't stand in judgment of you. All I can do is sever our friendship. You don't want to sever the relationship with God. And, and, and God says, if you're going to come to an altar, if you're going to make a decision, and boy, I tell you what, I... 
I'm about sick of teenager decisions at youth camp that just two days later, it's just not even like it happened at all. And it's not just them, it's parents too. We, we have a revival and everybody's filling the altar. And then it's like, well, where are the results of that? You see, it's people that vow vows to God. They're moved. Oh, the emotion of the service. And they come to an altar and they pray these grand prayers. Oh, Lord, give me the strength. But I wonder this, how many churches would be started if people just kept their word to God? How many dollars would be filling offering plates if people would just keep their vows to God? How many doors would be knocked? How many bus routes would be started? How many times would the church grow and expand if people would just do what they've already promised to do? Dad and I both have had men come up to us and say, Brother Andrew, I'm going to do something great for God. I'm I'm going to give my life. I'm going to do everything that I can only to see those men disappear and fade away. What a shame it is when we take pleasure in coming to God and and requesting His ear and His help as we endeavor to do His will. And then it's like we forget all about it. But I tell you, one person did not. And God will require that at your hand. And one day He's going to say, Hey, do you remember that time when, when you came to an altar? And this ought not scare you away from making vows to God because there is no more joyous thing than God helping you gain victory over something or God empowering you to see someone saved. That's monumental. That's amazing. But sometimes we just ask for God's assistance and we forget all about it. You know what that does to our heart? It hardens it. And it makes it where the prayers that used to break our heart no longer do and they're just lip service. Their words. We, uh, we deal with things so long and we ask God to give us the victory. And then after a while, we've prayed the same prayer so many times. It's like, it's old hat. That was never God's will. God has made us overcomers. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And He will enable. He will power. All power is given into me in heaven and earth. He's got the authority. But sometimes we just kind of back out of it. And it hardens our heart every time when we commit unfulfilled vows. A wealthy tycoon one day said to the preacher while he was laying on his deathbed, he said, Preacher, if God would just get me out of this mess, if he would just give me another year or maybe two, I would, I would do so much more. And the preacher says, Well, what would you do if you had more time? The oil tycoon looked at the preacher and said, Well, I'd give... I'd give a million dollars right now to the church if God would just heal me of this. A few days later, the doctors came in and began to diagnose him, and they realized that everything was resolved. They had not done anything medically to change his situation. They were waiting for him to expire, and and something happened, God's hand, I guess, and, and, and lifted him up, and boy, he was feeling good. Well, a few weeks later, him and the preacher were out to lunch, and And the preacher looked across the table at him and said, Hey, uh, you remember when I was in your room and you said that if God would just give you a few more years that you would do some great things? He said, I I don't really recall what you're saying. The preacher said, No, I remember I asked you, what would you do specifically? And and you said you would give a million dollars to the church if, 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 if if you just had a few more years. And the oil tycoon looked at the preacher and said, Boy, that tells you how sick I was to say something like that. 
Sometimes we make vows with no intention to pay them. It's just trying to promise, trying to sound good. But God wants people to make vows and to keep them. And I believe that that would be honoring. But when we don't, it hardens our heart. Finally, the, the final trespass that will harden our heart is when we prioritize our own agenda over God's. When our attitudes, when our agendas, when our priorities become the ultimate and God's take a back seat to those things. Here in chapter 9, verse number 16, the Bible says, And in very deed, now I want you to notice this is pretty cool stuff. And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up. Now this is God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up. For to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Verse number 17. As yet, exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Huh. God looks at Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, I raised you up for this day. I've given you the authority. I've given you the power. You are in the position you are in because I've put you there. And I've put you there to fulfill a specific purpose. And until now, at this point, you're exalting yourself. And putting my will and my people in a backseat position. Boy, don't we do that all the time. We know what God's will for our life is, but our own priorities take precedence in our life. It's like we turn a deaf ear to anything that God has to say, and we just we say, well, you know, I've got some things that are important to me. I, you know, I, I've, got, I've got things going on. You know, I've got work, and I've got to be a good father, and I've got, to, I've got to do all my responsibilities. And then if I have time, I'll do what God wants me to do. But that's not the way it works. We harden our heart when we say to God, God, my will is more important than yours. My plans are more important than yours. And let me just say here, God's plans are always better than yours. And God's goals and aspirations for your life are always far greater than those of your own. We have trouble trusting Him, though, don't we? I like Brother Brian's sermon. You must believe in God, and then secondly, you must believe God. You've got to take Him at His word that His ways are greater than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You've got to understand that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. We've got to submit to His will. We've got to allow him to take the seed and turn it into a corn stalk. I liked yesterday, I read this. Uh, anybody can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a seed. See, God can do wonders. And while we look at what's currently going on and we see what's happening now and we say, well, this is my plan, God says, you don't even know what I've got for your life. Sometimes we, trub, we, we, we have trouble trusting Him, but we prioritize our own agenda. James chapter 4, verse 7, the Bible specifically tells us how we are to defeat Satan. It gives us a step-by-step plan. And, and we often quote this part of the verse, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Y- y'all are familiar with that, but what we often forget about is the first part of the verse. Submit yourselves unto God. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see, we must first submit to God's plan. We must first submit to God's power and his authority. But, whoa, man, what a trouble we have with that. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. God's plans are far superior than your own plans. And what Pharaoh thought is he had it all figured out. And now he's trying to devise means by which he can, he can get his own way and yet satisfy God's will. And we do that. We say, well, I want my way, but God, I, I'm going to take care of you later. That's not the way it works. Amy has an uncle that we go visit every now and again when we go to North Carolina. And this man uh, owns some of the most beautiful Corvettes I've ever seen in my life. In fact, he's a master mechanic. And he doesn't work on any other cars. He doesn't work on Mustangs, on, on Chargers, on Vipers, none of that. The only car he works on is Corvettes. You walk into his shop, and he's got every little Hot Wheel ever made on a Corvette. In fact, he has a data log, an Excel spreadsheet. When he goes to these Corvette conventions... He looks through all these toy cars and he says, well, I've got the 1972, but I don't have the 1973. And he checks it off when he buys it. He's probably got no less than 200 of these cars on his wall. His tables, his furniture, his jukebox. Obviously, it's all Brian. For, no, no. <laughs> Everything in his shop is Corvette. His shop is cleaner than uh, this church. And there's not an oil stain on the floor. And this is where he does his work. This is where he works on the cars. There's not anything wrong. All of his clocks are pristine. They're Corvette. Everything is beautiful. He's got, a, a, I personally know that he owns two all the time that he won't get rid of. And he works on others all the time that he'll just sell when he does it. He enjoys it. It's more of a hobby than it is a profession. He one day took me in and he showed me how well built these Corvettes are. And for those of you that know someone who is uh, a Corvette fan, that's the only car that, that's ever been made right. And it's pretty amazing how they're built. You know how Corvettes, even the older ones and some of the newer ones, you know how they all kind of bubble out and then they kind of pinch down at the bottom and it looks like uh, it's just a really tight, compact car? He, sh he showed me... A chassis, uh, which is the frame of the car, he showed me the chassis. And did you know that when he lifts that body up off the car, fully assembled, he can set that body down. He can have the engine. He can have every component in that car. And even though it looks like it doesn't fit, they're, they're built perfectly so that those bodies can fit perfectly over the chassis with all the components ready to go. It's amazing. He completely takes them apart. He takes the chassis down to its, uh, the very core. He takes all the parts out. He has a sandblaster in there. There's not a part that doesn't get sandblasted. There's not a part that's meticulously clean. He takes uh, this amazing pleasure in showing you the beauty of this car. And there's a white one, and I think there's a blue one. They're gorgeous old Corvettes. And he'll say, look at this, look at this. And, and you know, I, I don't know that much about cars, but I just... They're beautiful, and I just have to act like I know a bunch. I'm like, yeah, that's my Chevy. <laughs> beautiful. How many horsepower is that? He's like, and I, I try talking the only car lingo I know. It's this thing run on gas or diesel. He's like, it's a car. It's gas, obviously. Obviously, God's testing you. 
It's amazing what these cars do. He shows you the outside, and then he'll take you, and he'll pop the hood, right? And then he gets into the things that are way above my head, right? Now we're looking at the engine. And, And what's amazing about what he does is everything is returned to its original. There's nothing new on these cars. In fact, one day I asked him like a moron. I was like, aren't the engines supposed to be orange? Because I've seen orange engines in cars, in Chevy cars. He goes, nope, this Corvette, this year model, they used purple on this engine. I was like, whoa. He tells me all the specs on it. He's like, this one's got 400cc on the bubble gum trim body double flip. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I'm like, are those Firestones? He's like, this car wasn't made for Firestone. And I just, I just refer to the only thing I know. And I will say that the car is beautiful, but under the hood is equally as beautiful. And he'll tell me how much power these engines possess and how amazing they are. But you know, I got to thinking, as beautiful as that engine is, and as, as chromed out as that engine is, did you know that engine goes nowhere without the car? And did you know that the car goes nowhere without the engine? They need each other. And and there's this whole process by which this car works. And if it does not have this part in this place, this car, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how much potential it has to run, boy, this thing can probably scorch any car in the parking lot tonight. No matter how much it has, if it does not have all the components, it just does not run. Now, could you imagine with me this? One day he's in there sandblasting a part to go on the car, and the part looks up at the master mechanic and says, you know what, this is not really what I want to do. I think I belong more in the Mustang-type family. I like Ford. I'm kind of a Ford guy. And he says, no, you were meant for this. You were made and you were meant for this moment to go into this car. You were the original design. And without you, the car doesn't function correctly. And without the car, you don't function correctly. I can't throw you into a Ford. You don't fit a Ford. This is the place you were meant for. This is the place that you can serve the best. And the part looks up and says, but I really don't want to go there. Useless. It might as well go to the scrap heap because it's useless. I wonder how many times God, as the master mechanic, is doing things with our life that we don't even understand. And he's doing amazing things. He says, you were made for this moment. And I believe this goes very deep. Theologically, I believe you were created for a purpose. I believe there's a moment in time when you have the opportunity to do God's will and you will be used just as successfully as Paul himself was used. You were made for a purpose. The Bible says that God knew Old Testament prophets in the womb. They were meant for a moment. John the Baptist was created for a moment in time to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. They had a destiny. God had a plan for their life. And I wonder if John one day passed by the shop, uh, a a Walmart there, and he said, you know what, this old camel hair doesn't really suit me that well. And to be honest, I don't really like the way locusts taste. And he changes his will, and he changes his destiny. And all the while, the master mechanic says, but you don't understand. You were created for this moment. This is your destiny. But that's not really my plan. 
And no matter how much God wants to use that person, if you tell him that, he can't do that with you. And the amazing things in your life, you'll never know what you could have done for Christ because one day you just decided that your will was superior to that of the master mechanic. And God upholds this world by the very word of his power. He upholds your life, every heartbeat you have, every breath you breathe. It's all authored and originated by an all-heavenly, uh, loving Heavenly Father, an all-powerful, all-knowing Heavenly Father. Your life was meant for a purpose. But when you tell him that you have your own plans, your heart is hardened. And you become literally useless. Because God created you for a purpose and a time. Tonight, I don't want there to be a single person in this auditorium that has God speaking to their heart and you tell him no. You know why? Because when you do that, your heart hardens. And you go increasingly, increasingly farther away from where you need to be. Tonight, some of us, like the prodigal son, we need to come to ourselves. And we need to realize that the loving Heavenly Father that we remember, He's just waiting for us to return. And when we do, He'll greet us with loving embrace and He'll welcome us back and says, Your purpose is renewed. You're back on track and your destiny is established. If you'll just establish my will as the priority, you will accomplish great things.